Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome to another episode of Fearless. I'm Sissy Graham Lynch, and I'm excited you're here with me today because I have a special guest, and that is my husband, Corey Lynch. And Corey is a former college and professional football player. And it's this time of year, I always get a little bit um, sentimental because it's hard to believe the NFL preseason is only a few days away. And even though he's uh, been retired for a few years, I feel like it's this time of year he should be getting back to work on the football field. But while being on a national and international stage of any profession can always seem very glamorous, there's also many harsh realities of behind the scenes of challenges you face. And today, Corey and I are going to share a little bit of what our football life looked like and talk about some of those challenges he faced during his football career and how he had to take an uncompromising stand in his faith. As I said in my very first episode here at Fearless, I felt my entire life I've worn different hats and different identities, starting with Billy Graham's granddaughter, Franklin Graham's daughter, and then Corey Lynch's wife. And today I get to have Corey with me here. Welcome. I'm so excited to be <laughs> It's strange being interviewed by my wife. I've been interviewed by many people, but not my wife. Sometimes Corey and I, let's just, if we're to be honest, don't always do this kind of stuff well. Mm-hmm. Corey's kind of quiet. He's more of an introvert. I told him he'd have lots of personality on today's episode. I feel like I do right now. (laughs) But I first met Corey. I was going to school at Liberty University at the time, and he was going to school and playing football at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, which is where I grew up. And my ex-boyfriend from high school (laughs) was playing football with Corey, and he was at the time my best friend. And I was home for the weekend, and he asked if he could bring a couple of the football players uh, over to eat lunch with uh, my family. We were going out to lunch, and he did. And so Corey was one of those guys, and Corey actually sat next to me, and it was not love at first sight. It was for me, baby. That's the first time I've ever heard you say that. (sighs) Corey's arm was hurt. You had a sling on, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was probably, I was 19 years old, and I was a little bit on the shallow side, I didn't like what he was wearing. He was wearing jean shorts, jorts, as my family calls them. But those are back in now, right? Well, they were never in back then. You were They were never in style in 2005. He was wearing a gold necklace around his neck with his football number on it. Thank you for clarifying what football number you are. And he had a ring on his ring finger or pointer finger. Mm-hmm. And my family, my brother was there and he still makes fun of him to this day for his jewelry choices. Oh, your brother shallow too. (laughs) So let's just say it was not love at first sight, but I did get to know Corey over the course of the next year. He and um, those football guys, they became good friends of mine. My mom kind of took them in as her own children and let her, let them all hang out at her house and hang out. One time she said something about Corey Lynch. And I said, I met him and I did not like him. He had zero personality, was not fun um, in all seriousness. But I remember it was later on that God really started changing my heart because I remember hearing a story about Corey taking a stand on the football field. And what was that story? The, we, we just had some sort of chant that I can't 
really remember and it had a curse word in it. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I wasn't going to be part of it. And I said, hey, guys, if if we want to chant whatever chant you guys feel we need to chant, let's just do it without a curse word. So everyone feels welcome to say that chant. And I remember as little as that sounds like most Christians, I would know, especially college boys would just join in and say the foul word and not think anything about it. And I remember, wow, here's one guy that would take a stand against a whole football team and say, we're not going to say this word because not all of us want to. And the respect he gained from that. But I remember at that point, he reminded me a lot of my dad, that he was unashamed to take a stand. He was unashamed to do what was right. And he did it boldly. And I felt I started falling in love with him at that moment because I fell in love with his heart. And at that moment, like God took these goggles off my eyes or something. It was like, as soon as I fell in love with his heart, I realized like, wow, he is really good looking. Because if you've seen him, you would know he is, he's gorgeous. I, I lucked out in that department. You're making me blush. I know. Um, but I am, I feel very lucky. I had, I don't know if I'd ever really had, I called him the big man on campus. And I just definitely never, ever got the big man on campus until I, I did get Corey Lynch. So but I also, I didn't follow football at Appalachian State. I didn't really care about football and didn't know what a big deal he was at the time. And then I started seeing his football pictures around town, like in the posters and everybody's windows. I said, wow, I think that guy's must be pretty good. And so I remember going to the very first, it was the next year. So it's almost been a whole year since I met him and his arm had healed. He was better. And it was his first football game back. And it was, who was it against? Eastern Kentucky. And I was like, I won't make eye contact with him. I won't. I, and I remember him being on the field, looking up and waving at me. And I was so embarrassed. Like, why is he looking at me? And then how many inter- remember that. interceptions did you have? I had two. Mm-hmm. That was a good game. <laughs> so after that, we started dating. And I think the won rest of the game just, and your heart yeah. all in the same. Won the game and won night. my heart. Um, and after that, it was history. So. I wanted, though, today to share part of what it's like to take a stand, whether it was on the football field or wherever God has called you. For those who didn't follow Appalachian State's football history, you won three national championships in a row. And what though, there was a unique thing about your football team at App State that many people don't realize. And what was that unique factor? Um, I mean, other than respecting each other and having a great chemistry, we had a Bible study that was um, pretty large. I mean, we'd have uh, 25 guys on average come and we'd all have pizza and study the word of God together. And, you know, it was completely driven and led by um, the players and the coaches weren't there. So it was just a great time to get together, learn God's word and um, just become closer as a as a family, as a collegiate family. But also every Friday night before a football game. Oh, that too. Yeah. So we would, um, you know, most of the Bible study guys would get together and, you know, after we'd do our film study and whatnot on a Friday night, we would just go out in the field and there there wouldn't be any lights on or anything. It'd be dark, pitch dark. And um, we would just go and walk around the field and pray, uh, pray together, pray, pray separately, and then, you know, come together on the 50-yard line and hold hands and pray um, just for the next day that it'd be safe. And, you know, just the Lord would bless our, our activities out there on the field. It was years later we found out Coach Moore, who was the head coach at App State at the time, he would go up in the stands and watch y'all pray 
on Friday nights. And I think it was pretty special. People didn't realize that. Um, I remember the 10 year anniversary of the App State Michigan games. ESPN was interviewing a bunch of people for it. And this one guy that was interviewing me, he said, there's one thing in common that everybody I've interviewed from the team said, and that, that there was something more than just football on this team. And that was the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. that many of them gave God the glory for everything that happened. And I used to say, you have not because you've asked not. And so I'd always pray for wins at App State. But it was special to watch uh, this team of young men who truly believed in God with all their heart and to give God all the glory for everything. And I truly believe God used that team at that moment in history to bring glory to Him. And that was special. At what point at App State did you realize you had a chance to go to the NFL? It was early on in my career. Uh, when I was a freshman, I had just gotten a chance to start. And so um, I had a really good game. I had two interceptions in my first start ever. I would just realize at that moment, you know, playing on that stage that there was a possibility to, to go to the next level um, and that, that I had the skills and the talent. Um, and not, not through myself, it was God-given skills and talents that I could use to, you know, attain the NFL status. And for those who are listening and for those who might not know who my husband is or his uh, football history, but he was a part of a very famous game, one of the most famous games in all of football history, and that is when Appalachian State beat Michigan. First game of the season of 2007, and I don't think anybody thought Appalachian State had a chance except for those Appalachian State fans because we knew and we watched these players every week for three years. We knew how good they were. And how would you describe that last minute or two minutes of the football game? Oh, man, the last two minutes were like two days. And, you know, they scored, we scored. Um, then they were about to score again with six seconds left. And um, it was a complete team effort. I blocked the last kick. And, you know, time ran out, but really the team was just incredible. And, and the team, the team aspect was, was why we won the chemistry and everyone believing in each other. You know, my part was very minimal from my perspective. And how would you describe that moment you blocked the kick? Uh, That moment was, (laughs) um, obviously it was a great moment in my career and great moment for Appalachian football, but you know, I had practiced that play so many times, 10,000 times practicing it. And it just came down to that moment where it all came to fruition. And um, it all, all happened perfectly uh, after 10,000 tries of practice. But, you know, th- that moment was a great moment. But really the team aspect from the moment we started the game uh, was why we won the game. That wasn't just the last the last play why we won it. I was so far up in the stands. I was like the second row from the top. I didn't even know it was Corey that blocked the kick. I had to ask my brother and I was shaking the Michigan fan in front of me who had been so rude the whole time because I was so excited. I was like hugging him and that man was so irritated. But then I realized it was Corey who was running back. And my family often teases him because we have no mercy in my family to those who we love is that Corey got ran down by the Michigan kicker. I did. (laughs) I I, uh, accept that. I wish I was a little bit faster that day. But that was the last play of the game, so I was I was on my slow horse. You just said when you were standing on that line at the end of the Michigan game that it was no big deal to you, that you had the confidence because you had practiced this play over and over, that you could stand in confidence on that line knowing that you could block that kick. 
So for you and for many of us who had watched you over the years, it wasn't a big surprise. And I think of how that's the same in our faith, that every day when we practice our faith and we put our faith in Jesus and we study his word, we know his word, that we can stand in confidence in those moments when life throws us a curveball or those moments where our faith might be tested, we can stand in our confidence because we had already practiced it. We already know who God is. And I think of Jeremiah 17, 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. But if we have not studied God's word, if we don't know who he is, then in those moments, we might stand in fear. And just like you stood in that confidence on that line, that football play that you had known over and over, you had practiced over and over. The way we have confidence in God is we know who he is by through his word. I wouldn't say it, was, it wasn't a big deal to do that. I just had confidence that I could do it. And if, if the right things happened, I would be successful at it. But I remember a verse that says that I hide thy words in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. So later that year, Corey and I, um, after his last football game, two weeks later, we got married on December 31st of 2007. And then he started training for the NFL. And a few months later, he was drafted. He was drafted the Cincinnati Bengals, sixth round. And our life in the NFL began. And I think many people think the NFL is very glamorous. They probably see these top players at the very top percent of the NFL, but we've seen it from a different perspective of how hard the NFL is, how it's a business. It's a brutal business. Uh, we know how tough the locker rooms are. And when you entered the NFL as a rookie, what were you most concerned about or feared as a Christian? I wasn't fearful as a Christian. I was just wondering if the guys who were you know, going to be my new teammates, you know, how, how they would accept me once they figured out I was, I was a Christian, just like, you know, when I first got to Appalachian, you know, are you going to be accepted or not? Are you going to be rejected? Um, but I don't think there was any fear with that. After Corey's rookie year, he was a part of a TV show called Hard Knocks, where they followed the training camp of the Cincinnati Bengals. And they had followed the story of Corey, his um, preseason, mm -hmm. but they really painted it and portrayed it in a negative way that you weren't doing very well. And at the end of it, you did get cut at the end of preseason. So as a wife, not only is it hard to watch your husband lose his job, but you lose his job on national television. That would be hard and difficult for any man. Yeah, I remember walking into the facility with the cameras following me after getting fired and you know packing up my stuff or seeing what was next. And that was that was a hard hard time in my life. I didn't. I definitely didn't have the best preseason, but um, I didn't have a bad one. And um, it, it was just interesting watching all the episodes on Hard Knocks and um, you know seeing this story unfold that wasn't necessarily true. And, um, you know, I just had to stay grounded in God's word and see, see where he would lead your paths for the next part of your life. And I'll never forget a wife that had been a really good friend to me and a spiritual leader in my life that year. She, her husband had been in the league for 10 years. She said, Sissy, you have proclaimed to be a Christian this whole year. You've been a part of this Bible study. You've taken a stand. These wives are going to watch you and your reaction. Um, after Corey has been cut to see if your God is still your God and if you still take a stand the way you do. 
And that has always stuck with me, even after all these years, because no matter what world we're in, whether that's the NFL, whether that's the corporate world, a classroom, any kind of business you're in, when we take a stand for Jesus, the world is going to watch every moment to see if we fall or stumble, whether when things get rough, is God still our God? And that became a challenge to me in the NFL, whether that was in the stands, whether we watch our language, whether we, um, in our actions as Christians, the world is always watching us. And I remember the story, they thought you said a curse word one time. Yeah, everybody knew that, you know, I, I have always taken a stand that I'm not going to be, you know, the Bible says you're in the world, but not of the world. And so I've always taken a stand on cursing. And I just, you know, decided at a young age, I wasn't going to be a part of that. So I remember, you know, I had got shipped off to the Buccaneers for three years. I played there for three years and, you know, they, they knew who I was and, um, you know, not everyone liked me, but people respected me. But I remember how much they were watching me after this one play, I got hit pretty hard. And um, I remember saying, oh, shoot. And they obviously didn't think I said that word. They, they thought I saw said the four letter word. And um, it was like, it was like time stood still. It was like, practice just stopped because, you know, someone blew a horn, like a blow horn and everyone was just staring at me. And while I was sitting there in pain and I look up at my coach, I'm like, what's going on? Why is everyone looking? And he, he was just like, you know, had this, like, like he just saw a ghost and he's like, did you just curse? And I said, no, I said, oh shoot. Cause it hurt so bad. And he's like, I don't think you said that. I think you said the four letter word. I'm like, well, you can believe what what you want to believe, but I didn't. But it was, it was at that moment, I realized how much people were looking at me because um, they knew that I was different. And, and I don't know if they were waiting for me to fall or fail, but it was an interesting feeling. I realized all eyes were on me. And I think as Christians, you need to take an uncompromising stand. There's a lot of Christ- people on the football field that would be Christians Example, but they have a foul mouth. They're part of the world. I know, um, and a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at foul language because probably most Christians I know have a foul mouth, which is sad to say, but the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue. And you've challenged me that over the years of what the Bible says. Yeah, at an early age, I started reading the Bible and really, you know, in my teenage years, 15, 16, 17, really um, exploring it and seeing what it had to say. You know, there's two ways, you know, the world's way or the Bible's way, and they're, they're in complete contrast to each other. They go in opposite directions, complete 180s. And so that was one of the things that I started studying when I was, you know, a teenager was different things that the Bible said. And, and the Bible talks about the heart speaks, the, or the mouth speaks from the heart. And, um, you know, what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. And so um, one of my favorite verses with the mouth would be James 1.26. And it, you know, it says, for if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is counted worthless. And that was a very powerful verse for me to read. And, you know, my, my religion would be considered worthless, like, like having no worth if, if I didn't keep a tight rein on my tongue. And um, so I realized at a young age that I was going to take that uncompromising stand of watching my mouth because everybody else uh, I saw would compromise on that. It's such an easy compromise. I see so often Christians when they feel the pressures of the world, whether that's 
I've seen grown men be around those who are cursing and they feel like they have to curse to be around them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they are, maybe they don't tend to drink very much, but if they're around those who are drinking, they're going to drink because they don't want to be outcast. And these are men and women who are strong in their faith, but nobody wants to be outcast. I think that's in our sinful nature is we don't want to be uh, made fun of. We don't want to feel the pressure of it is so much easier to give into. Yeah. So uh, one thing I will add is that what I've experienced in football over the years is that people don't respect Christians who waver. But if, if you can find a way to stay solid in your faith and unwavering, you know, we're, we're all going to stumble and fall, but generally unwavering, um, they might not like you, but but they will respect you for who you are. But, you know, th- they'll still try you. They'll still find out ways to try to get under your skin. But I've always felt a certain level of respect, mostly at the end of the day, maybe not in the middle of the day, but at the end of the day, I've felt a level of respect if you stay solid to your beliefs. Um, there was one in particular, one instance that one of our coaches started showing pornography um, at the beginning of uh, film session and they would have a picture up and, you know, I guess guys would laugh or joke about it or whatever. And then they would start the film session. And so, um, you know, for me, I was just not going to be a part of it. First of all, I thought I was a little bit third grade-ish in the NFL, but um, this started happening and, you know, I would, I wouldn't say anything. They can do what they want to do. I just wouldn't look up at the screen. I just look down or, you know, start drawing on my paper or writing down notes from the previous film session. But as this continued happening, they started noticing it over and over that I wouldn't look up. And, you know, soon the comments would come, hey, Corey, why aren't you looking up? And, you know, I'd be like, man, I, I could care less. I'm, I'm a married man. I love my wife. I respect women more than that. And so, you know, it progressed over the next couple months to you know, they would write my name on the film session and be like, hey, Corey, this is for you. And they would try to put it up at times when I wasn't expecting it. So I would see it. And, um, you know, I I never got upset. I never got mad. I just kind of shrugged it off my shoulder and I got big shoulders. I don't I don't care if you want to make fun of me. That's that's fine with me for what I believe or what I stand with. Um, but they were always trying to um, a little bit try to get under my skin. But at the end of the day, like I said earlier, I, I never felt like they didn't respect me at the end of the day. And I think, first off, I've never heard you talk about them making it personal to you. It's the first time you've ever really shared that um, with me. And I think it just shows is it doesn't matter where we are in life, what job we are or what path we're going down is that Jesus says that the world will come against us because they first hated him and that they're going to hate us. And that persecution is going to come in different ways, whether that's trying to be mocked and humiliated over starting your morning meetings with pornography or in different ways. And what I've watched is so many Christians can't take the pressure. And that's what I've always loved about Corey is that he's just been steady on his faith, steady on who God is, steady on God's word and his instructions for our life and has not wavered from that. And I I sit here and I brag about him. He is not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're far from it. But in this aspect of taking a stand in a world with an uncompromising faith, I'm very thankful for that. 
yeah, for those times that you're tested and those times when the world wants to come upon you, the word says, you know, I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. And so if you have a problem with memorizing scripture, or if, or if you're just simply don't do it, you, you can't stand up to those temptations. You can't be as strong. You can't have bigger shoulders than the rest of the world when you don't hide God's word in your heart. And I remember at that time I had been um, trying to memorize Psalm 1. It's kind of difficult to memorize for me, but it's only six verses. Um, but the, the first two says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. And so, you know, that just, it goes to show you that if you can meditate on the law, if you can meditate on God's word, you don't have to be a mocker. You don't have to be a sinner. You don't have to be part of the wicked. And we are to delight ourselves in him and not to give into this world. And I do believe that he gives us the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that resurrected Jesus, that he gives us that encouragement, that ability to stand strong and wherever the world is mocking us, wherever the world is coming against us. And just to remember in 2 Timothy 1.7, as I shared in the very first episode was, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but the power of love and a sound mind. And that's what comes uh, to my heart when I think of Corey, is he's always had a sound mind. Um, like I said earlier, he's not perfect. There's hmm? different faults we could come about from another day. But I will say from the day I met him and how I fell in love with him, is that he has had a sound mind. His heart has been set on Jesus. He's delighted himself in God's word and God's word only. You and I probably always have a difficult time explaining life in the NFL. It's a hard way of life. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of heartache in the NFL for us. Um, I always say the NFL gives and the NFL takes away your friends. And that was the best and the worst part of the NFL, the people that we got to meet were some of the, your greatest friends of a lifetime, but all of you come from different parts of the country. So when you get cut or moved to a different team, you often don't ever see those friends again. And for many of them, I've never seen again because some are in Oregon, some are in Washington, some are in Louisiana, we're all spread out. But for me as a wife, that was the greatest thing were the people, the Bible studies, you know, I think a lot of people have a stereotype of what the NFL is from TV shows that they've seen and these uh, fancy wives that they might see on TV. But for most of it, it was such a down-to-earth atmosphere. A lot of us would have potlucks while our husbands were gone. It was a very unique community because all of our husbands or significant others were all on the same schedule. They were all gone on the same nights. They all had the same practice schedule. So for us wives, we could really get to know each other and spend a lot of time together, which is rare. And that's not really the norm for most people, but I think how special those Bible studies were for me and especially um, Tampa Bay and the Indianapolis Colts. You had women from all different backgrounds, but would come together and truly love one another and pray for one another and lift each other up and really encourage one another. And that's what I miss most about the NFL. But I also loved the crazy transient life. I know you hated it. But I always loved going to the new cities and exploring and getting to know new people and new cultures. And for me, it was all part of an adventure, an adventure you knew that wasn't going to last forever. 
And I tell people that all the time is always look for the good. The NFL provided so much good and there was a lot of difficult times to it, but you have to look in the good and what God provides. And I loved it. I loved the craziness of all of it. That was difficult, especially when you're not on the top of the totem pole. <laughs> yeah. When you're on the bottom, it's, um, it's different. You, you make friends with people and then you come in the next day and their names out of their locker and there's nothing left in their locker. Where'd they go? And, oh, he was fired yesterday. He's on a plane somewhere now. And for Corey, I mean, your job was on the line every day. Yeah, you just was, never knew. Yeah, I, I practiced every day like I needed to make the team. And um, for those who don't know, tell them the teams you played on. I was drafted to the Bengals. Then I was fired. And then I was played with three years with the Bucks. Then one year with San Diego and one year with or two two years with the Colts, but I got injured in my seventh year. Yeah, that was my hardest goodbye was the Colts. We were there such a short time. I had, um, Corey was a free agent and I was pregnant with our very first child. And he got picked up to Tennessee, cut right before she was born. I had her, then he got picked up again and went back to Tennessee. I got in the car two days later with a four week old and drove over a thousand miles by myself with a newborn. And I think in the first eight weeks of her life, we were in and out of eight different hotels and homes. And it was difficult, but once we, and he got cut from Tennessee and then picked up to the Colts, which is kind of complicated for those who are just listening. That was a lot of said, but we were there a short time, but it was a sweet moment. I'll never forget that Bible study at the Colts was one of the sweetest Bible studies I'd ever been with. And we were living in a hotel. Mm-hmm. I think it was three degrees outside in Indianapolis. Yeah. Most of the time we were there. And it was, it was a family atmosphere that was, um, there was something more than just football. Mm-hmm. And then the next spring you got hurt. And you got on an airplane that day and never went back. That's right. I played football for 25 years, ever since I was five years old. And, you know, I can still remember the day I was running on the field. And the next day I was fired and then um, had to deal with my injury and never went back. So I think one of the top questions I get on social media all the time is, what is Corey doing now? And it's a difficult question because I feel like we're in our 30s and we're still trying to figure out what to do with our lives. So it's probably my least favorite question. But uh, for those who don't know and care, what are you doing now with Um, Samaritan's Purse and back at home? So um, I own a business back home. I have a couple rental homes that I do and remodel. Um, But in the summers, we move to Alaska where we are right now. And we um, work at Operation Healer Patriots, which is a project that Samaritan's First does for wounded veterans. And then I also head up church building in rural parts of Alaska. So uh, this year I'm building two separate churches in in Alaska. And to clarify, Samaritan's Purse builds these churches um, in native villages. A lot of these native Alaskan villages are overran with drugs and alcohol, abuse and depression and suicide. So Samaritan's Purse comes in and builds these churches that help bring a community center and hope to these villages and to really build up the local church. And then I get to be a part of Operation Heal Our Patriots, which I get to see a lot of spouses that come up whose husbands lost their career and their identity due to an injury. 
and they've been plucked from their communities and their um, their people that they've known and loved, and they're having to deal with their husbands trying to find a new identity. So I get to do that in the summer, and I'm pretty blessed to be a part of that. And I want to encourage you, no matter where you are in life, no matter it's in a job, whatever path you're on, to keep a sound mind, to not have a spirit of fear, but to delight yourself in God's word and on his law and meditate on it day and night. Thank you for joining me and Corey on today's episode of Fearless as we shared a little bit of what our NFL life looked like and what Corey's football career looked like and some of the challenges he faced. And I want to touch on something as we close of something Corey said earlier. And that's when you take an uncompromising stand in your life and in your faith in Jesus, the people around you might not always like you, but they will respect you. And there are going to be times in your life where you have to set yourself apart, whether that's at school, at work, or just in your inner circle of friends, that you're going to have to choose. Are you going to take a stand for Jesus in this decision you make? And there's only one way you're going to have the confidence to do that, and that is to know who God is and to know who Jesus is, to study His Word so that you can build that confidence up. So at that moment, you have to make a decision. You have the full ability to do so because you know who God is and your confidence is in Him. Once again, thank you for joining me on today's episode of Fearless. To stay connected, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I wasn't